Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello. I forgot how to do the intro to the show. I'm just going to re-record it so nobody will know. But uh, I was very stuttery, guys, because I feel like I haven't done the show in a million years. Um but we decided to do a very special episode today, obviously, because there's some big news items we wanted to get to. And also, we wanted to do our 2021 Oscar predictions. Yes. So we can be very wrong and then <laughs> look back on it and laugh and laugh about how very stupid we were. <laughs> And how we made so many bad picks, and we were just um, completely off the mark. So I'm excited to do that. We are going to, uh, well, first of all, before we get to that, I just wanted to thank David, who's my newest Patreon supporter over at my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. It's just my name. Very easy to remember. So thank you to David for signing up. I very much appreciate it. Um, but for the Oscar predictions, <laughs> I feel so bad, Meredith, that I keep giving you homework to do. Um, even though I refuse to hold myself to the same standards, I'm just going to improvise because I, I tend to overthink this stuff and I think I sabotage myself by second guessing my choices, but we're just going to do the major categories. Yeah. I also think that like, Calling it homework is such a silly thing since we're not actually being graded. And <laughs> it doesn't matter if we're right or wrong because, frankly, we have good opinions. And I don't know why we should be second-guessing them since we know people have done good work. And at the very least, we're going to be able to have good arguments about why people who don't deserve it don't deserve it. So Great point. I tend to be very hard on myself when I'm wrong. So I will be beating myself up, I'm sure. I do wonder how many people are even going to watch the Oscars this year. It feels like it's going to be a very low uh, turnout, viewership-wise. But whatever, yeah. it is our Super Bowl. I put up when with you guys. I'm sorry, it's not our Super Bowl. It <laughs> might be some people's Super Bowl. Eurovision is my Super Bowl. Oh, that's true. Eurovision is Meredith's Super Bowl. Okay, it's my Super Bowl. I put up with you people tweeting about football and wrestling all the time. So shut the fuck up. It is my moment. Um, but even though it's my moment, I didn't want to get into, like, technical awards and stuff because I'm going to be real with you all. I haven't even seen all of the films, especially when it comes to, like, documentaries and stuff. So I will be really guessing with some of these <laughs> categories, but whatever. Should we just – let's get right into it. Let's just start with actor in a leading role. Let's just dive the fuck in. So yeah. the nominees I'll, – I'll give everybody the nominees because I know not everybody's as familiar with this stuff as perhaps we are. And it's hard to keep track because sometimes there are really obscure films that you're like, I'm sorry, who did what? So the nominees are Riz Ahmed, obviously, for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, Gary Oldman in Mank. Maybe you heard of it. 
and Stephen Yoon in Minari. So, I mean, for me, this one I think is pretty obviously going to be Chadwick Boseman. Oh, I I remember too. I wanted us to say who we think will win and who we think should win. Right. For me, it's the same answer for this one. Will win and should win is Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, and I I say the same thing. It's not well, we've we said this in our own conversations, but you know the it's awesome. In any other year, I would be rooting heavily between Riz Ahmed and Steven Yoon because they both give incredible performances in their respective roles. But they're also young guys. They're like yes. in their thirties. They're going to be here again. They are a part of a new generation of actors that's going to really kick the asses of people like Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman um, and change the way we think about movies. So both from the like performance level, I wouldn't be mad. He's fantastic. Chadwick Boseman is amazing in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but also I think it's good to recognize the sentiment of somebody as talented as, as Boseman being taken from the world so soon. Mm. And from what I understand uh, in terms of how that character appears in the play version of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Chadwick is just bringing so much, such a dynamic approach to the character. That character can come across as very (laughs) um, psychotic in the play to the point where you're sort of like, why are these other musicians choosing to be in his company and the way Chadwick approaches it in the movie, he brings every ounce of charm to that role. We are like, Oh yeah, they would totally, they would keep around this like very attractive, charming young man, even if he happens to also be unhinged (laughs) in a lot of ways. So from what I've heard, he also approached the part with a tremendous amount of intelligence, which just makes the performance that much more exciting. Um, But I totally agree with what you're saying, Meredith, in terms of I feel like Riz and Steven, if Hollywood is smart and approaches their careers the correct way, they will be around for many, many years. And I hope both of them win Oscars at some point. But I'm not like, you know, I don't have anxiety for them because they're so talented. I know they'll be back. Right. And, uh, you know, just to mentioned the other two people, Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman. I don't know what the father is. I've heard it. <laughs> I've heard it sad and about like having a, <sighs> and also like, you know, I don't give a shit about Mank. Like I've seen Citizen Kane. I've listened to, you must remember this. I don't need Gary Oldman swanning around being a pleasant middle-aged guy after so many years of being an abusive dickhead. Here's the thing. I'm very nervous about two films uh, upsetting my apple cart, if you will, in the 2021 Oscars pool. And Mank is one of them. I'm very nervous about Mank. I think Mank might blindside us in a couple of these categories and and pull out a win. I liked Mank way more than a lot of people out there. I've been sort of surprised by the vitriol that's been <laughs> aimed at Mank this Oscar season. I think because Mank in part embodies the old Oscars a little bit um, yeah. a, a film that would have swept any other year, but the Oscars are changing. Thankfully the Academy is becoming much more diverse. Um, I'm a little nervous that <laughs> make might surprise us and win some awards that we 
think um, other films perhaps should be winning. And I'm also extremely nervous about uh, Hillbilly Elegy. We'll get to that in a second. Um, But yeah, so actor in a supporting role, I think, is a much more interesting category just because I think it's a little more competitive. I think um, from what I've been hearing, almost universally, everyone thinks Chadwick Boseman's going to win um, best actor, but actor in a supporting role. Check out these nominees: Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of the Chicago Seven. That The Trial of the Chicago Seven is also a film I'm very nervous about uh, in terms of upsetting <laughs> some of my predictions. Daniel Kaluuya in Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. in One Night in Miami, Paul Racy in Sound of Metal, and Lakeith motherfucking Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah. So that's two <laughs> nominees from Judas and the Black Messiah. Perhaps you're wondering who was the best lead actor in Judas and the Black Messiah. Great question. That, of course, was Lakeith Stanfield. This is what we call light uh, category rigging, I would call it. Yeah. Um, because perhaps the creators of Judas and the Black Messiah knew that Chadwick Boseman was a lock for best uh, lead actor, so they threw both of their actors in supporting, which is a little confusing because it's sort of puts them up against each other, which sucks and is not fair, but does increase their odds of a win in this category. Um, Meredith, who do you think of those actors? I think that Daniel Kaluuya is going to win. He won the Golden Globe. He also is a supporting actor. His care, you know, Fred Hampton is not the main character of the film. Lakeith Stanfield's character is. And, uh, and he's, he's fantastic. Also, I think that there are some people that kind of remember Get Out and think about all the things he's done and they're like, well, I don't know, maybe we should give it to him. I, I really think it'll be Kulia. Um, I am so torn on who I think should win because for old school, like in the spirit of the category, Paul Racy is the kind of, like, if this were the 1970s, he'd be an absolute lock. Uh, <laughs> well, also, if, if we're keeping strict definitional terms of who did the best job in a supporting role in the film uplifting the lead actor, I think that's Paul Racy. Um, just because he truly fit that definition of a supporting actor in a supporting role, every scene he's in, he he's not doing the most. He's just offering an authentic performance that further uplifts what the amazing job Riz Ahmed's doing in that film. Yes. Um, so for that reason, I would also say you could probably make an argument that Paul Racy should win, but I agree with you, Meredith. I think Daniel Kulia will win. I think if we're going to see an upset, it'll be Lakeith. Yeah. Um, confusing voters, maybe, <laughs> where they're like, but you were also so good, and I don't know who to vote for, and I want someone from this great film to win. So maybe Lakeith, just because he has so much great energy and buzz to him, um, might you know, split the votes. But I think it'll probably be Daniel. Yeah. And I, you know, the, the, the thing that really stinks is that, like, of all of this, you know, whatever, I have love for Sasha Baron Cohen, who wasn't doing, like, he was just being Abby Hoffman. Like, Abby Hoffman, like, I don't need that kind of, you know, 
whatever. He was playing a, a caricature in many ways, even though he did a perfectly good job. Um, I'd be really happy if – I don't know that I'd be super mad if there was an upset in this category, certainly out of the three of Daniel Kulia, Paul Racy, and Lakeith Stanfield. And I love Leslie Odom Jr. I just didn't – I felt like One Night in Miami was a really good movie, but, again, he's playing Sam Cooke and – He's got a better shot doing uh, the original song. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I I think that's one of the most stacked categories. Um, The next category is also very, very stacked, and I am torn about who I want to go with. Actress in a leading role. So that's Viola Davis and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andra Day in the United States versus Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby and Pieces of a Woman. Frances McDormand in Nomadland. And, of course, Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. This one is tough. I would say who should win. I'm really, really torn on this one, but I'm going to go with Viola Davis and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Her performance is really incredible, and it's, like, top to bottom a performance. Sorry, I didn't mean to get a pun in there. Uh, But Viola Davis is acting with her body, with her voice, with her eye, like every single piece of her is just acting the shit out of that role. But unfortunately, who I think will win, <laughs> I think Frances McDormand. Yeah, I mean, I also think Frances McDormand will probably win, um, even though, and this could be an upset, because I think it, a few weeks ago I would have said Frances McDormand for sure. I think Viola Davis could do it because people love her so much and have Mm -hmm. come to appreciate that she is uh, every bit the actress that Frances McDormand is, but just hasn't gotten the recognition until now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the backlash against Nomadland has been coming pretty fast and furious. Sorry, I've been watching a lot of action movies. Um, (laughs) So I do think that that could be it. I... Again, in my heart of hearts, I kind of want Carrie Mulligan to get it, but I also have a really hard time saying that she should get it when she's in her mid-30s. And there are other, you know, people, like, and then Viola Davis is in this category, just full on, you know? Like, you just, she, this is too stacked a category, and there's too much power and, like, gravitas in some of the performance, in, you know, in her performance, certainly, to make me think, like, I don't know if this, this, it just, she'll, she'll be back. This is her second nomination. Yeah. Lead actress category. She'll be fine. I'm, yeah, there's some films that have been slowly losing momentum, and Nomadland is one of them. Um, I still think that they might squeak it out for actress and uh, best picture and best director. But then there's other films that have been gaining momentum that I think might upset some of these predictions. Unfortunately, the the trial of the Chicago seven, which I maintain is a bad film has been bizarrely gaining momentum through uh, campaign season and Ma Rainey's black bottom 
yeah. deservedly has been gaining a lot of momentum in terms of Chadwick got a lot of attention up front. But since then, people have been, you know, like, man, Viola Davis is really good in this, too. And it's like, yes, she's fucking incredible. She's one of the greatest working actresses of all time. And we are so fortunate that we get to see her in these roles. And she's incredible in the film. So I think uh, I'm going to go with Viola. Yeah, that's that makes sense. I haven't seen the United States versus Billy Holiday. I no, I heard it's like very average and she is great in it. Yeah, which makes sense. And I also haven't watched Pieces of a Woman specifically because I don't think that I can, I just don't want to, the subject matter seems too heavy for me. Um, I feel the way about Vanessa Kirby that you feel a way, uh, the way about Carrie Mulligan, which is I feel like this is her introduction to Hollywood and we're going to see Vanessa Kirby at every Oscars for the next 40 years. Yeah. And don't forget at every single premiere, like film premiere for the Fast and Furious universe. Now, that's <laughs> and Shaw. right. How could I forget? How could I forget? <laughs> uh, so. Next category is also very interesting. Actress in a supporting role, uh, Maria Bakalova for Borat, Glenn Close in Hillbilly Allergy, Olivia Coleman in The Father, Amanda Seyfried in Mank. Maybe you heard of it. I'm going to do that every time. And uh, Yujan Yoon for Minari. This category is very, very tricky, Meredith. Well, I would be... I would be happy if anyone but Glenn Close won because mm, bad I, news, bad news. <laughs> I hate it so much because like she gets the supporting re- nomination because she's been nominated so many times. She's been campaigning really hard. She's never won before. Well, I not guess- only all of that business, but the last time everybody thought she was going to win, Miss Olivia Coleman beat her. And once again, they are pitted against each other. And I'm wondering if this is going to be a case of the Academy being like, let the nice lady have her statue. Oh, I know. And that would really piss me off because, frankly, if you're going to give somebody a career Oscar, why not give it to Yujun Young? Because I know. I know. An absolute, like, pillar of the Korean film community. Uh, I'm so torn, though, about this category. My should my should is very close between Maria Bakalova and Yu Jong Yoon. Yeah. Um, I think they give extraordinary performances in films that are so different. It is absurd to compare them. But Maria Bakalova is acting her little butt off and is oftentimes in very uncomfortable slash dangerous situations that I think she should be awarded for her bravery, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. And also doing a tremendous job acting. Um, and Yu Jung Yoon, as you just said, is a storied actress, has been acting for decades, is amazing, is such a fucking icon that it feels like insulting if she does not win. Um, so for should, I'm going to go with Yu Jung Yoon for Minari. Who, but, but, here's the thing. Who will win? I'm torn. This might be the toughest category for me, if you can't tell by the way I'm reacting. Who will win? I am torn between Glenn Close and Amanda Siegfried for Mank, because I think they're gonna wanna give Mank something, right? And if they're gonna give Mank anything, I think this is one of the categories they're gonna give them, um, because 
you can very easily make the argument that Amanda steals that movie. Yeah. She gives a great performance. She's a very talented actress. <sighs> but Mank has been losing momentum, right? So I think for this one, I'm going to, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to say who will win is Glenn Close for Hillbilly Allergy. Elegy. I, oh, this is a really tough one because I think, uh, I, I think it, it, would either be Olivia Coleman or Yu Jung Young, but mm-hmm. uh, I also am toward between uh, Yoon and Maria Bakalova because I also want a comedy to fucking win something. Comedies are consistently disrespected by the Academy, and even listening to like NPR talk about this is so nails on a chalkboard because they're like. <laughs> Borat, like they're still acting like that, where it's like you guys are such fucking obnoxious snobs. I'm like, she's, she's an incredible performance. Like, can you just admit that? A comedic actress from Bulgaria comes to the United States playing a character who then manages to have one of the most like interesting and heartfelt conversations with the um with the babysitter and like incredible, the, incredible like, scene, and plays that in a way that brings real heart and doesn't actually doesn't disrespect the person that she's talking to. I mean, she was like, she through improvisation found a way to show both how awful and disgusting people can be and also how kind they can be. Um, And she got to mess with Rudy Giuliani. I think she did fantastic work and there's something so cool about that. But yeah, Maria Bakalova understood the assignment and executed it flawlessly. If she was a dramatic actress and she had improvised that much, people would be calling her a genius. But because she's a comedic actress, they don't take her seriously. It's bullshit. Um, So Meredith, you were saying should win who should win. Uh, I think Yu Jong Yoon. I'll yeah, go yeah. with that. As as much as I dislike it, I refuse to live in a universe <laughs> that means Glenn Close will get that for her sort of awful, awful, awful. I don't know what do you call it? Like meth face? Like oh, it's so. If they win anything for makeup and prosthetics, I mean, like we have to march, right? It's like backwoods drag. It's really ugly. It's awful. It's like yeah. really insulting. So who do you think will win? Uh, I think I actually think it'll be Olivia Coleman. She's been dealing with the absolute horror of a parent going through a rapid and devastating decline. People mm-hmm. love her and they love thinking about how much they would like how they would be good at doing that sort of thing. So I think she's got the kind of role that would make people respond to it right on um i wasn't going to do this next category but i think we have time so animated feature film um no no disrespect no shade i'm not saying it's not a major category i just didn't think we'd have enough time but the nominees are onward uh over the moon a sean the sheep movie farmageddon (laughs) oh Rosie has a favorite Sean the Sheep movie. Uh, Soul, of course, and Wolf Walkers. Well, obviously, Rosie is, is a favorite, like, the Sheep movie because uh, sheep are, you know, she is a herding dog. So, of course, <laughs> um, she thought it was just an advertisement for her new, uh, for a new home. I think Soul will win because... Yeah, me too. Is it, when do they not... Um, I 
had that's actually the only one of these I've seen. But mm-hmm. I am genuinely excited to see Wolfwalkers because I I'm heard it's really incredible. Yeah. It. And so uh, that one is one I'm like actually. Whereas going to see Soul just felt like one of those things, of course, I was going to do because, like, we couldn't go anywhere. I um, really, really did not enjoy Soul. I, like, could appreciate that the animation was beautiful, appreciate that this is a Disney film centering black characters, which we almost never – black characters in modern times in New York City, which felt very special because it is special because they never do that. <laughs> um, but I hated almost everything else about Soul. I thought it was confusing. I was like, who is this for? Children won't understand or like this movie. Is it just to make adults sad? Which I guess is why Disney Pixar exists now, to make people cry. Um, not a fan of the body switching element of the story. Felt very strange. And, um, yeah. But I've heard, I think if there's going to be an upset moment, it'll be Wolf Walkers winning. Yeah, that's interesting. Cool. Uh, okay, so let's get to directing. Another interesting category, another upset moment. I think might be a big upset moment, actually. So the nominees are Another Round. Thomas Vinterberg is the director. David Fincher, who directed Mank. Lee Isaac Chung, who directed Minari. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Stacked. Stacked. Yeah. So who I think should win. Should win is probably Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. If you watch Nomadland, I think that movie could have been disastrous without a very, very keen eye. And Chloe Zhao pretty much did everything in that film, including editing, and she did a phenomenal job editing. Mm-hmm. Um I also just really, really want to see a woman of color win in directing because it never fucking happens. And Clojo is super talented. And I'm very excited to see where she goes with her career. Of course, she's going to be directing The Eternals. Super excited about that, um, considering that apparently she did such a phenomenal job pitching her take on the Eternals that the MCU guys said that it was the best pitch they've ever heard. So I'm very excited to see what that pitch was. Yeah. Uh, isn't that, yeah, that, crazy. Cause I'm sure they've heard some very, very good pitches and they were just completely blown away by Chloe Zhao. So I think she should win. I'm very, very nervous. The Academy is going to choose this year to be like, you know, we really should have rewarded David Fincher before. Mm, and I I could understand that. Yeah, I, I could too. Uh, but I, I I actually think that Chloe Zhao is going to win. I think she should win, and I think she will win. Um, because it, she just did an incredible job. And I think that the effects of Nomadland losing steam will not include her. That, like, she's, yeah, I agree. For them, like, that people are going to want to reward her because they recognize she has a level of talent. And, um, and, you know, whether or not, whether or not the movie went too easy or too hard on Amazon or did the right, did right by the, the current, like, itinerant workers, 
that she she deserves it. And I think people are probably ashamed that she didn't get nominated for the writer. But, you know, she was still too small time then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it for both Will and Should is Chloe Zhao. So documentary is another category where I think we're going to see an upset. Uh, the nominees are Collective, Crip Camp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. Um. I think should. This is one of those categories I've only seen two. I've only seen My Octopus Teacher and Collective. I've heard a lot about time. Um, but I think should win is Collective. Yeah. Collective is one of the best documentary, documentaries I've ever seen. It's extremely moving and well done. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think who will win I think the Academy really wants Schmaltz this year, and they're going to go for my octopus teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I could also see it going to Crip Camp because it is, uh, like the the story is so interesting and it has like an interesting bit of of history. But even that might be too smart for what people are looking for at the moment. Like. The, the people, the Academy loves to give the best documentary award to either the cheesiest, most life affirming bit of like fine documentary or something that's like, would you like to hear about genocide? And right. it's just like, yeah, it does seem like this might be a year for, for the schmaltz. The only potential upset I, I could see happening is time just because it has the Obamas behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I could potentially see the Academy putting a lot of weight behind that where they're like, oh, the Obamas did this documentary. Oh, I'm going to vote for that. And I've heard time is incredible, too. Um, so potentially I could see time sneaking in there. But I'm going to go with my gut and I'm going to say my octopus teacher. I, you know, listen, people had quarantine brain they wanted to feel good. This guy had a lot of footage of an octopus and was like, how do I make this about my son? <laughs> <laughs> I Look, I'm not mad about it. It is just sort of disappointing because, to my mind, it's absolutely obvious that Collective should win since it's, like, one of the most thrilling and suspenseful movies I've seen in, in recent – like – it's a real life story that has has the vibe of all the president's men, but like, and actual life and death stakes. It's I, it's really incredible. And again, of course, trigger warning because they do use real footage of the the fire at the club. That's so intense. Like, one you know, it's, it's going to be intense. Seen. <laughs> yeah, you, you you're braced for it to be an int- intense, but how fast it happens is like truly traumatizing. So, and you hear everybody screaming. It's awful. It's so awful. But having said that, the way it then makes the dry day to day (laughs) process of investigative journalism, one of the most like breathtakingly exciting things you'll ever see is just truly amazing. Absolutely. International feature film. Which, of course, used to be Best Foreign uh, Feature Film. They changed the name of the category, thankfully. Uh, so the nominees for that are Another Round, Better Days, Collective, The Man Who Sold His Skin, and Quovatis Aida? Yes, that's how you say it. 
right? Yeah. Um, I Can you tell I have not seen that one? So I really can't speak to this category as much as I can the other ones, unfortunately, because I haven't seen most of them. The only ones I've seen are Another Round and Collective. So, of course, my yeah. brain... <laughs> <laughs> I've seen better days, but that's uh, I'm not I'm basically in the same position as you are. Yeah. So I think who should win in that category is I'm torn between another round and collective. But I think for both my answers, I'm going to say should and will will be another round. Yeah. OK. Um, I. I guess like if. Whichever one of collectives nominations, it doesn't win. It's right. The other one. Right. Like right. they it's in it's nominated twice because they're like, we have to give it something. We just don't know what's the best thing. I would love to see another round win. I think Thomas Vinterberg is a really talented director. I thought like especially I just thought that it was I don't want to say delightful because it's kind of, it is a sad movie about middle aged men, but <laughs> the man made a movie about sad middle aged men that I love. That's what I was going to say. The fact that this movie is about sad white middle-aged men and we still love it that much just shows how good it is. Yeah. I feel like that's that's really the the biggest the biggest impossible endorsement for why I think it would it would deserve a victory here because great performances. Something also I think that uh I learned something from an interview with Mads Mikkelsen recently. Uh Vinterberg's daughter passed away in a car crash. Oh no. Days before they were supposed to start filming and she was supposed to play Mads' daughter. Oh my god. So she had been in prep every they like every single person in the cast was like extremely close with her. They were ready and Vinterberg insisted that they go ahead with production and <sighs> and figure out how to do it. And so, like, the film in itself, like, Mads is sort of like, yeah, you know, we all felt like we wanted to be there for him in this way. Like, if we're all working 12-hour days, then at least we're able to support him. But, you know, we would chuck the entire – we would chuck at all of it if she could be back, you know, she could be back with us. But we felt like we had to do it for her. And my entire body just convulsed with, like, oh, now I really want to see him get up there and thank his – or his yeah. Anyway, that's just it's one of those extremely Oscar worthy kind of stories that also is pretty beautiful in terms of how creative people deal with. Well, I mean, here's the thing. How many times did we hear from the fucking reverent revenant crew? Oh, we had such brutal days shooting with just natural light. We were freezing our asses off like they could not stop milking that. That is the first time I've heard that his fucking daughter died. Yeah. So it's not like they're trying to milk it for Oscar points. <laughs> like, I literally had did not know that. And you, if and you were a cynical to... person, you could say that they could perhaps play that up more to convince people to vote for the film. So I, I would say that they're... They're not milking the Oscarness of that moment. I would also say that, like, oh, I'm sorry, you got frostbite because what's his face was just like insistent that we had to get the perfect level of uh, verite in terms of how <laughs> you are. Like, I'm sorry, lose one of the most important people in your life and then still get up and do your shit. I think that that is harder than having to go through the physical like nonsense of of. 
of that kind of reality or gaining a bunch of weight or making yourself ugly, you know, like how do you actually like bring the strength to lead a production? But yeah, you know, what do I know? I'm, I just watched the movie. Right. Absolutely. Um, so let's get to the writing categories for adapted screenplay. I'm not going to list all of the writers because especially for Borat, there's like roughly a hundred writers. Um, but the nominees are Borat, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. Um, so for adapted, hmm, I, I am torn about this category. I'll, I'm going to go with Nomadland. You think it's going to win or should win? Both. Okay. Um I'm going to be the weirdo here. Is I think Nomadland will win um, because I read the story that Chloe Zhao used. I mean, I think it was ProPublica that uh, was that she adapted it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's really fascinating to to know that like somebody did an investigative journalism piece and then it turned into this film. Um, I think I would like to see Borat win just because, frankly it was a weird moment to bring it back and it made me very happy to see them messing with such terrible people. Yeah. I'm, I'm torn. I almost said Borat for should. I am torn though, because it probably, I don't know that it deserves it, but in, you know, I think I would be happy if there was an upset and that happened. I would be happy with it, but I think that, yeah, if I have to pick will and should, then yeah, I think Nomadland as well. Yeah. Um, I'm just torn because I don't know how much, like, obviously the people who were like, it was 100% improvised. It's like, no, they had a storyline that they were obviously following and, and improvising around the storyline. And the, the reason there's a hundred writers is because there was a lot of writing in the film. I just don't know how much of the writing they ultimately used. So it's a little harder to tell, like, should it win for writing? You know, that's, that's a good point. That is a good point. And yet, I'll still, you know, I would still be happy because I would be thrilled. Any and listen, any moment Borat has where they upset this Oscars is going to be a personal highlight for me if it happens. Because again, the Academy hates comedy and they will hate Borat when winning anything. So that will make me very happy. Well, uh, I think that there are a lot of people who personally feel frightened of Borat because Sasha Baron Cohen has in the past messed with them, and so they're mm-hmm. terrified that one day they will be targeted. Yes, he makes them very nervous. <laughs> um, for original screenplay, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young, Young Woman, Sound of Metal, The tri- the Trial of the Chicago 7. <laughs> this is another, I can't, I can't even get through it, uh, because it's such a bad film. I cannot believe it got nominated for anything, let alone this amount of awards. Um, should win, Promising Young Woman. And that's not to say that it's a perfect screenplay. I, th- I actually think it's a very flawed screenplay. But I think the fact that, listen, I am currently still in three group text messages about Promising Young Woman that are still active mm-hmm. <laughs> because people find the ideas in the screenplay in this film to be so compelling. Whether you love it or hate it, it struck a chord in so many people because there are so many interesting ideas 
in the screenplay, which is very exciting. And people, yeah, and I am too. I have multiple text conversations going on. um, And it's like every so often somebody thinks about a point in the movie and has an opinion on it and somebody disagrees with it or they approached it a little bit differently and wants to discuss that. And I think you're really right to nail that for what, for what its flaws might be, it actually does something new um, because it, it is that it brings that level of, of like debatability to it. Um, I, I would love to see it win here. Uh, Unfortunately, I know. I think this is going to be the moment that the Academy's like, you know, we should give Aaron Sorkin something. He's just, he's been around so long, and I like the West Wing, and I really think they are going to give this man an Oscar for the trial of the Chicago Center. I I think it's going to happen. But he won for the social network, so they've already rewarded him for his writing something good. I don't think it matters. I think they're going to say, like, it. the trial trial of the Chicago 7 has been gaining momentum through this Oscar season. I have a bad feeling. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Sincerely, I hope I'm wrong. I would rather they give the award to any other film in this category. Because, quite frankly, every film in this category is deserving other than the trial of the Chicago 7. So I would not be mad if Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, or Sound of Metal won over Promising Young Woman if they give it to Aaron Sorkin for that piece of shit film. So let's we can say that in this case, we're actually not that worried about who should win as much as we are who should not win. Um, exactly. exactly. And, I, and I think that's just fine. I mean, what's really especially offensive in this situation is that characters from Judas and the Black Messiah have minor roles in the trial of the Chicago Seven. Correct. And they're treated like fucking props. Correct. And their stories are, and these things are happening literally at the same time. And it's, absolutely stunning that you can have the two and that as much as I hate to think you could be right it's just too uncomfortable to see the Black Panthers for like to think about humanizing them for some of the older white voters and so they'd rather give it to the trial of the Chicago 7 because that's the kind of radicalism that makes them feel okay um, rather than actually having to confront that we are complicit in the assassinations of children for trying to feed other children. So, Meredith, who do you think should win best original screenplay? Uh, I would, I agree and would go, I think promising young woman should, uh, because again, basically the exact same reasons as you. And I know that I've now been encountering more people who felt like it was a bad movie and they hated it. I don't care. I loved it. I still love it. And I thought that it was really fascinating great achievement and Emerald Fennel is incredibly talented. And I actually think it's an achievement if you can divide a room like that, because it shows that you're presenting new big ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Who do you think will win though? Mm, See, I, I think Judas and the Black Messiah is going to win. Okay. Okay. Like I'm going to come out of left field and I'm going to put it there. All right. I like it. Bold. Um, so that means I think we've hit every major category other than best picture, the big one, 
let's see. They have this divided into very confusing segments on their official website. Yeah, they do. Um, best picture. It's after best music. They put best picture. Okay. So the nominees are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7 in Best Picture. Can you believe it? So, again, I think we could see a big upset in this category. However, having said that, for both should and will, no, that's not true. For will, I think it's going to be Nomadland. Mm-hmm. Should... Uh, it's really, really difficult because I think you could easily make an argument for a couple films in this category, but I'm going to go with Judas and the Black Messiah. Interesting. Yeah, I... This is going to sound crazy. I think that the most likely upset in this category will be Minari getting it over Nomadland. Yeah, so that, if there was hesitation in my voice, it was because Minari and Judas and the Black Messiah are pretty much neck and neck in my head mm-hmm. in in terms of who should win for this category. Yeah. I I think that either Minari or Nomadland will win. Uh, and let's put it this way. If Minari wins, then I think Judas and the Black Messiah should have won. But, like, if it doesn't win, then I'm just going to be like, well, I can't. I mean, let's, again, there, if the Trial of Chicago 7 wins, then we just all pack it up and go home. Because we, once again, remember that these awards very rarely pick the best film. I, and I'm very nervous about the Trial of Chicago 7 because so many highly, highly respected actors are in that film that I could see the Academy being like, well, I mean, I really like Jeremy Strong, and he does a good job in that film. So, yeah, give it to them. <laughs> you know, like, that makes me very nervous. Yeah. Um, I am going to make you pick, though. So you can't say either or. So one film. I I think Nomadland's going to win, and I think that Minari should win. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Those are good picks. That's that's just I'm just gonna take the opposite end of your thoughts and just do it. I that truly, way. I truly hope because I've just been talking about negative upsets. I could see Minari being a potentially positive upset that I would be thrilled if yeah. it happened in any category. Yeah, and I, I guess the there are enough movies in this category that I really, really loved that. There are a lot of possible outcomes that I think would be interesting, potentially controversial, but would still leave me satisfied because there's a lot of good work that's been happening. But, uh, yeah, I think the question is just, you know, what have, what have people been doing with their time? And how uh, – the other one is, of course, like, okay, the racists in the academy, like – How much did they decide to really come out and make their opinions known? Because the brutally honest Oscar ballots situation is always its own sort of like strange untreat. 
It'll be an interesting test to see uh, how far the academies come in their efforts of diversifying the academy, because if the trial of the Chicago Seven (laughs) wins anything, I think it's going to be a clear indication that the old academy is still strong and thriving. And if Minari upsets anything, it'll be a pretty clear indication that there's younger blood that's in there sort of being like, why don't we reward some of the more interesting films? Yeah. And yeah, the question of like, will the green book contingent fight back against the fact that it was like, well, we already had Koreans. So exactly. Exactly. We already did that. So to be honest with you, even the way they're handling like the, the union station of it all, um, the the ceremony this year, the way people are already sort of putting asterisks next to people like Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennel, like, well, it's a weird year. So that's why we're seeing some of these nominees already feels very patronizing um, and sexist and racist. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see what yeah. the results are. But uh, you guys, go oh, ahead. Say, I just want to say one more thing specifically on that topic. Let's all give a round of applause to Ryan Coogler for refusing to join the Academy because he felt like participating in the system at all would be an unnecessary endorsement of it. And so he chooses to just not be in it. And I thought that was pretty damn cool. Very cool. Uh, Do follow both of us, Meredith L. Clark and uh, me at Allison Kilkenny. Hashtag light trees and pod. During the award ceremony, you can laugh at us if we're very wrong and we get a lot of things, a lot of predictions incorrect. Um, any feelings you're having, we want to hear about them. And, yeah, let, let us know how you're feeling. And on that note, it's that time of the show. I'm so sorry. Here's your bad news. Uh, well, first of all, in bad news, going viral on Twitter, I'm going to put that in bad news. This stupid MCU tweet of mine that has been liked 37,000 times is like still in my fucking feed with people responding to it. I'm ignoring it, but I'm putting that in the bad news <laughs> section. You should have known better. It never, ever, ever pays to do something that might make you go viral. You know what men love? Women who have opinions about comic books and who make jokes. They famously love both of those things. And they totally understand when women make jokes. Oh, yeah. So that was a good uh, call on my end. You know, sometimes you just have to remind yourself (sighs) you have to be, like, get offline. I'm very offline, and I also wisely set my Twitter notifications to only people I follow, so I don't even see when they're responding. I just occasionally get a text from someone who's like, holy shit, what's happening? And I'm like, oh, my God. I had a a thought about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and now my Twitter is just blowing up for three consecutive days. That's all. But anyway, on a very different note... Obviously, in the good news section, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about um, Derek Chauvin, 
the trial, the outcome, um, even though our justice system is racist and very broken, it was very encouraging that he was found guilty on all counts. So we are going to get to that eventually, because obviously the George Floyd trial was the big news item of the week, I think. But in the bad news section, I wanted to talk about other police violence, because even as that ruling was being handed down, the police were busy killing other black people. And those stories have since gone viral. So I wanted to talk about um, Micaiah Bryant, the 16-year-old girl who was uh, shot and killed by police when they got a call about a girl attacking um, another young girl with a knife. So the police show up and they release the camera footage and at least according to how it looks in the video, the police arrive and they immediately shoot and kill Micaiah. So, of course, there were a lot of people online who immediately were like, well, yeah, she was attacking someone with a knife. So, of course, the police rolled up and immediately executed her. But, of course, many others were quick to point out that the police don't always do that. In fact, in cases um, such as Kyle Rittenhouse, Dylan Roof, other mass shooters, um, they are successfully apprehended without killing the person who committed the horrific act of violence. But it seems like they only do that if the shooter is a white man. Yeah, and that's I, I can't, I don't even know what you say at this point in time other than remarking that these things have been, like, they're happening on the same day. Uh, and... And people are are bending over backwards for good, like to find excuses for the police to behave this way. That oh well, this girl was in foster care and she was fat, so they wouldn't have known that she was a kid or this and that. And I'm like, you people really cannot help but completely show your asses. When the the shit and like I'm not even gonna mention his name because fuck him, but. There was a white male comedian who went viral for saying the thing that you were just citing, Meredith, which is, well, she was fat and fat people look older. So I guess she deserved to die because she was fat. Um, fuck yourself if you think that way. It's absurd. You're bending over backwards trying to make excuse for the cops executing people. And what's so interesting to me is like... It seems like people are forgetting that the cops don't have the right to execute you. Yeah, I was just going to say, the cops shouldn't be killing anyone. Even uh, if you were attacking someone with a knife, which is a crime, they don't have the right to execute you. No. And people are so quick to just be little bootlickers and just agree with the cops for any reason and be like, well, she deserved to die. And it's like, no, she didn't. She absolutely didn't deserve to die. Oh, they just, they were just doing what they had to do. No, because we've seen any, like a million other times that the cops are perfectly capable of, you know, of apprehending and uh, arresting someone who is armed with a weapon, like with weapons much more dangerous than a knife. And they are able, to, like, they are capable and least allegedly. Uh, they would like to th- like us to think are trained in de-escalation. 
it's it just makes it so obvious that they don't give a shit when you can see that they only use their de-escalation skills in a small handful of situations that always seem to in, involve heavily armed uh, white men. Right. And the amount of times I've had people be like, well, they shouldn't have talked back or they shouldn't have run away. It's so disturbing because it's like the, the police don't have the right to execute you. They don't. And anytime you adopt that attitude, you're further bolstering this racist system uh, when police make those types of excuses after they execute a civilian where they're like, well, she had a knife. And it's like, OK, there were three of you and yeah. she was a 16 year old girl and you are trained to disarm people. Yeah. Why did you not attempt to disarm her? And and the idea that like, well, she had a knife, so we had to shoot her as if like, you know, oh, I'm sorry, the you you're too much of a fragile you with a, a fucking gun are too much of a fragile flower to put your body in danger. The whole reason that you're supposed like that you supposedly have a mandate to run around killing people in the name of law and order is that your bot like we're paying you to put your bodies in danger to supposedly keep the peace. Right, they want it both ways. They want all the respect of putting themselves in dangerous situations, but when they have the moment to put themselves in a dangerous situation, they just shoot and execute a 16-year-old. Yeah. Where it was like, you chose not to engage because you didn't want to put your body in harm's way, but you also want the respect of someone who puts their body in harm's way. You can't have both. No, you actually do have to earn it. That's your job. That's why you use taxpayer dollars for all of that training, right? Like, ostensibly, that's what you're training to do. Unlike your pension, you do actually have to earn respect. Oh, yikes. Yeah. (laughs) Too real? (laughs) Um, And then there was another horrific case. Uh, Seven North Carolina deputies are currently on leave after uh, police shot and killed another black man, uh, Andrew Brown Jr., while he was trying to drive away. Of course, a lot of people were like, well, he shouldn't have driven away. Guess what? The punishment for driving away is not being executed. Um, and the fact that they have already immediately put seven deputies on leave, to me, indicates that they're a little nervous <laughs> about what happened. Yeah, and uh, we were saying this to each other when we were talking about the Chauvin verdict. Uh, The cops are going to be so jumpy, and they are going to crack down because of of the frustration that is probably coursing through their veins over the fact that there might now be consequences. for like for ending someone's life without cause. And that's, you know, it, it, we don't know how that's going to look and we don't know how people will respond yet because these things are all still, you know, these are new stories, but uh, yeah, I think it's worth putting in bad news that, yeah, we should all be nervous that the cops are going to decide to get real heavy handed. I'm really, really nervous. And that's why I wanted to have a bad news section even though obviously we're going to get to the the George Floyd trial stuff, but I'm really nervous about how the police are. I mean, we already see how they've responded, right? 
but they are a hundred percent going to take their frustrations and fear out on black kids. They just will. Um, and, and any poor marginalized kids of color, right? right? Because they know that they're easy targets and they can get away with it. Um, and that the legal system, despite what happened with Derek Chauvin, will protect them. Right. Statistically, we know that. Uh, Derek Chauvin, the reason people were so surprised is he is very much an outlier. Uh, it is the first time a police officer has been held accountable for killing a black person in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which is <laughs> tells you everything you need to know. Right. Um, but it is by no means the justice system having changed. You know, it's not like a new era in race relations in the United States. It's it's 100 percent because of the hard work of the activists and George Floyd's family on the ground consistently working to keep this case in the minds of the American people. And you know that jury felt a lot of pressure. (laughs) So that is why we got accountability in this case. But accountability is not justice because George Floyd is still dead and he was killed by Derek Chauvin. And you can never, ever undo that. Um, It is good that Derek Chauvin's being held accountable, but um, it doesn't magically fix everything. So on that note, I guess let's just get into it. Here's your good news. What if I just started ranting about Twitter again? What would you do? Uh, (laughs) Be like, bitch, delete Twitter. Why are you doing this to yourself? Uh, No, obviously, in the good news section is the Derek Chauvin verdict. Uh, The jury deliberated for just over 10 hours, which is not very long, you guys. Uh, They found him guilty on all three charges. So guilty for second degree murder third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. Of course, it remains to be seen how many years he will actually do in prison. We have to wait uh, for that ruling. But um, I was very surprised. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I I really thought, best-case scenario, we would get a guilty verdict for one of those. Right. Uh, the fact that it was all three, I think, is very telling. And I think it's a clear indication of people feeling that the police do kill a lot of black people. In many cases, those those instances are unjustified. And whether it was because the jury was nervous about what would happen if they didn't come back with guilty verdicts or legitimately because there were many people of color on the jury they felt that Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd um I mean I I only heard about pieces of the trial I didn't watch the whole thing but from what I heard the defense did not do a great job uh (laughs) trying to explain why Derek Chauvin needed to kneel on George Floyd's neck until he died um so Maybe it was just a case of the jury genuinely feeling that Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd and needed to be held accountable. Yeah, I mean, I 
I think that the video, full stop, the existence of the video made things a lot clearer. And I mean, it's simply the, it is like simply the fact that it showed exactly what it showed. There is just no way around looking at that and saying, <laughs> and just recognizing that something terribly, like that a horrible, horrible act had been committed. And that like the question then had to become, what does that end up looking like in terms of convicting someone for a crime? Um, I also think that having, uh, having the children who witnessed him being murdered testify for the prosecution was also really powerful. I mean, I think that what it came down to is that they're just, uh, but I also think that that the the cops, like that the police department and the you know law enforcement in, in Minnesota decided that the only way they were gonna manage to maintain any sort of legitimacy was to accept that he was gonna have to be a sacrifice. And so they there was a sense of, they didn't line up behind him in the way that they might in other situations. And I, I do genuinely believe that. Yeah, I, first of all, I never wanna hear anyone say riots don't work ever again, because you can be damn sure that was also in the minds of people who were voting on this matter. Um, because we have seen a lot of riots in response to police officers getting away with murdering black people. Um, and a lot of communities are now, of course, afraid of that happening. So riots work. Riots are a means of negotiation uh, by the powerless. That's why poor people riot. So never want to hear that riots don't work again. But I'm glad you also bring up the video because I really wanted to shout out Darnella Frazier, who, of course, was the she was 17. Yeah. When she, she was there because she was taking her nine-year-old cousin to get a snack at the grocery store. Yeah, and she filmed, of course, what has now become the infamous video of Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck. You can hear her in the video saying, don't do that, you don't need to do that, stop doing that, variations of that. Um, I just like, I know it is now the instinct of people to film the police when something like that is happening, which is good, but also, I just want to pause to appreciate the bravery it takes for a 17-year-old girl, a, a woman of a young woman of color, to film the police like that, while knowing that in other cases, like I always think of Eric Gardner, right here in New York City, Ramsey Orta is the young man who shot the video of the police killing Eric Garner for selling Lucy cigarettes, putting him in a, an illegal chokehold, which led to his death. Ramsey Orta was hounded by the NYPD every moment after that. They harassed his family. They harassed him. They took him to court on trumped up weapons charges. He spent time in prison. Like they ruined his life for doing that. And the fact that Darnella Frazier, who is a 17 year old girl, put aside all of that sort of fear to film George Floyd just because he needed someone to be a witness, you know, um, is, is really moving and she's incredibly brave. And I just hope Everybody really rallies around her because you know the cops are going to harass her and her family. Yeah, and we, we talked about this, and I I just can't agree more that 
she needs to be protected at all costs, especially since when she was testifying, she was, she broke down talking about how much, how guilt she feels for not doing more to save George Floyd's life. Mm-hmm. A fucking child describing that she's up at night, unable to sleep because she feels like she needs to apologize for not doing that. Yeah, when- she's traumatized. She's totally traumatized from this happening. She watched a grown man kill someone. Yeah. And I just can't, again, I have no, I can't imagine how awful that must be. And I know people have been working to raise money for, because she's going to need help, you know, like she's going to need therapy. She hopefully will go to college and like the community's really rallied to raise money for her, which is great. I'm glad, but money can't fix everything, you know, and I just hope that people continue to pay attention to like what the Minnesota police are going to do now because you know they will retaliate. Absolutely. So everybody just watch Darnella (laughs) is what I'm saying. She needs help. If she ever says I need help, everybody drop what you're doing, go help her. Um, So I also wanted to just tell Nancy Pelosi to go fuck herself, if I may, in the the good news section. You are always, always (laughs) do that at any point in time that you feel it's important Listen, I don't want to be ageist, but grandma needs to retire yesterday because the shit that came out of her mouth once the verdict was handed down, she said, I'm not kidding. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice. Like he volunteered. Nancy, the man was murdered by a police officer. He did not sacrifice his life for justice. Holy shit. What? is the matter with you yeah she just and it sounded terrible when i heard that she had said something and then i watched the clip and i thought it's even worse than i could have imagined how how did it get worse when we went to the tape (laughs) it always gets worse with nancy you're always like well that is the dumbest thing she could say and then she says something even dumber Please retire. Please retire. I know she won't. Um, even if she did listen to this podcast, which she does not. But I so wish Nancy Pelosi and all of her uh, ilk would step down. Because every day they reveal themselves to be fossils who don't understand how the culture is changing. And they consistently say dumb shit like this. Right. So this is a great time to also ask. Diane Feinstein to Bitch, retire. retire, retire. Oh my God. Why do you even still want to do this? Yeah, I don't know. Just, just go be with your grandkids. Holy shit. No, Ugh. I'm that excited about having the power because so far a lot of people seem to want to take it away from you because you keep saying shit like this. God, she's so awful. Um, and yeah, I, I just, you know, I wanted to do... I wanted to put the proper respect on the moment and say that it is clearly an indication that our society and culture is changing, but again, a little bit of accountability is not justice because George Floyd is still dead and finding someone guilty after the fact is not good enough. So our justice system 
is still racist. <laughs> uh, police are still racist. We need to defund the police. They don't need, quote unquote, more training. Um, because in a lot of these cases, they are using chokeholds and, and maneuvers that have already been outlawed. And it doesn't make a fucking lick of difference. So we just need to get rid of the police. That's it, y'all. Meredith, yeah. do you have anything? I was going to say, I that sounds, I don't even have anything to that I can add. <laughs> just, just right. That's exactly it. <laughs> um, do you have anything you want to plug before we peace out? Uh, not yet. Uh, okay. I have some things in the near future, but for the Love moment, it. just doing my usual combination of watching and reviewing movies and getting ready for Eurovision. So... Your Great Super time. Bowl. If you have any thoughts about Eurovision, hashtag Light Trees and Pod at Meredith L. Clark. Hit us with any opinions, film, political, otherwise. Thank you to everyone who's been so sweet about this show slowly becoming a pop culture show. <laughs> um, we got a lot of nice compliments from people. The episode we we just talked about um, our top films of 2020 slash 2021. Uh, people liked it. So thank you. We appreciate it. And yeah, follow us both on Twitter. Um, tweet us any thoughts, anything like that. Thanks so much for listening. And while you're at it, stay inside and cause a little trouble and get vaccinated. 